is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Welcome back to another episode of Vocal Perspective. I'm Chris. I'm here with Amanda. Hello. And we are so excited to welcome our guest for this evening, a very longtime friend of mine, an awesome voice in the acapella world. Please welcome Anne McAlexander. Hey, Anne. Thank you. Hi, Chris. Hi, Amanda. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. so glad to have you. And when I say Anne and I go way back, I mean like Anne and I go way back. I don't even know. Anne probably was in the same realm as my parents when I was born. So I'm pretty sure it's from start to finish. And I've known her children since they were born. Uh, a lot of fun stories, a lot of fun times, a lot of fun memories. And so, I mean, we go way back. We right. go way back. I seem to remember some mores at Brown County when my kids were so tiny. So many. Carrying them around. <laughs> we were the Brown County singers. We sang little tags. It was so wonderful. Maggie and Patrick. And now they're all grown and like some are married and like have jobs. And it's a great oh. crowns and medals and accolades. And, and so it's so much. <laughs> they're So we always like to start these interviews with just getting an idea of how you ended up here. What drew you into the barbershop and singing world? My story goes back to when I was about eight years old and I grew up in Chicago and I remember watching the news one night and they had a quick blurb about a Sweet Adelines convention in town. So I assume it was a regional convention and a little bit of singing. My ears perked up and I said, I want to do that sometime. Years later, when I was in high school, I dated the lead in the Music Man Quartet when they put that show on in high school. And again, I was like, I love that music. And uh, senior year in high school, we sang a couple acapella numbers for our state music competition. And then I harmonized to the radio and I sang all through high school and college in multiple choirs. So when I got out of college, I moved to Indianapolis. I didn't know anybody. And the natural thing was, let me try to find a Sweet Adelines chorus. So it took a few weeks, but not long. And within about a month, I had found Capital City in Indianapolis and uh, kept trying to call a number that I saw in the paper and nobody answered. And it was just shortly before the days of answering machines. So finally, I said, I have the date, I have the location, I have the time, I'm just going to show up. And if they don't like me, they can send me home. As I got out of the car that night, a member happened to be walking by, immediately asked me if I was there to sing with the chorus, grabbed me, took me in, introduced me around. And the whole experience that first night was absolutely wonderful. I found a home. Going into a chorus like Capital City, back then, was it still the monster that I knew it to be? Was it still just as intimidating? Because back in the day, they had quite the audition process. And they were one of the groups that... I always knew they had a very high standard for what they expected, but also a massive family atmosphere because I know Maggie, how old was Maggie when she joined Capital City? She was 13 when she joined. Yeah. And that to me, especially when Maggie was 13, that was young. She joined in 2009 and I joined in 81. So there'd been a lot of time in between. (laughs) But yeah, the Capital City had 75 members when I joined and we had Gem City and Seven Hills in the same region. So they kind of went back and forth with who went international each time. So we were always a medalist, but not never a champion for many years. So I didn't compete at international for many years, but there was a solid group from our chorus that went to international every year. So almost immediately, I was swept up in that excitement of the big international competitions and who was who across the barbershop world. And I guess that quickly took it beyond just my weekly chorus experience. Right. The dedication to family vacations surrounding barbershop is strong. I don't think people realize that. 
acapella, yes, you uh, have your festivals and you have your events that you know you're going to go to, but there isn't this dedication to, this is my free time, this is my passion, this is my hobby, that's all these things. So how did your family, it seems to have worked great, but tell us a little bit about that experience. So Brad and I met at a Cardinal District Convention, which is Indiana, Kentucky, and a friend of mine from my chorus had asked me if I wanted to go with her, and I thought we were just going to see the contest. It turns out she had a crush on a guy. And so as soon as we got back to the hotel afterward, she was gone. And I was standing talking to some of my friends from my chorus whose husbands were in the men's chorus. And all of a sudden, a group of guys walked up and I knew one of the guys, they were singing tags and he was leading them. So 2.30 in the morning, singing tags. And this guy was standing across from me as we're singing and he was trying to say something to me. And afterwards, he's like, I'm Brad, I'm Brad. I was like, okay, hi, Brad. And I'm thinking Brad's probably (laughs) married and has three children at home. And he thinks that, you know, something's going to happen this weekend and that's not the case. Anyway, we we talked, we found out we were the same age and he was pretty much brand new to barbershop. That was his first district convention, but we had a lot in common, similar singing backgrounds, similar families, and it just all clicked. And we got married the next year and didn't have kids for for a few years. I was working on my master's and we decided to wait until I finished that. But we went to international just about every year and men's international and then some of the Sweet Adelines conventions. And I remember Brad's comment when he went to his first Sweet Adelines convention and watched the Scottsdale chorus. He said, I can't believe there are 96 women all doing the same thing at the same time and liking it. That That's is pretty magical. Best. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a so really that, great, what's the magic of women's barbershop? Yes. Yeah, I thought that summed it up pretty well. But so then when we had kids, Patrick was born and we got married in 88. Patrick was born in 94 and Maggie in 96. And we took Patrick to Pittsburgh when he was seven weeks old for the international convention. And we took Maggie to Salt Lake City when she was three months old. And our thing was, we're just going to take our kids with us. We don't want to curtail our barbershop experience because we were both in it. And so we're they're just going to have right. to figure out how right. they're going right. to have to make it happen. I, I can totally right. relate. So, my son so they, was two months old. Well, he was three weeks old when he came to my first show and two months old when he went to his first major festival. So yeah. sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's going to work because if it doesn't, it's not going to. I mean, I, it's just that's not an option. Not working isn't an option. So it just make them a part of the equation. I was sort of like that. However, my parents, they held off a little bit. They left me with grandma. So I got really mad. I I didn't get to go to England when I was eight weeks old. But anyway. Right. We did leave Patrick with my parents when we took Maggie at three months old and flew to Salt Lake City. So when he got old enough to realize that we'd left him at home and he missed a convention, he was not happy with us, but he got (laughs) over it. But our mantra was always, we're going to bring them with us and they'll either love it or they'll hate it. And we hope that they love it. And they both did. But we always had a pecking order, Brad and I, because we both were so involved. So we said, let me get this right. Performance trumps a rehearsal. A coaching session trumps a performance. Competition trumps everything else. So we just knew that, you know, whoever had one of those, that was the order. If we both had something at exactly the same time, that was who got to go and who didn't. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it usually worked out. We only I mean, really had the, Yeah. That was the beauty. I mean, I feel yeah. like, especially with Sweet Adelines and even Harmony Inc. as well, you might be doing barbershop all year, but you're usually not going to be doing it at the same time. There's plenty of harmony for everybody. But those right. of you who attend all three, which the McAlexanders have to be in a very small list of people that attend all three. And you have. That's a full 
year. That's a lot. I love barbershop. And that's a full year of Salt Lake City and somewhere in Florida. That's a lot of trips to Orlando. (laughs) And usually someplace in the Northeast where it's (laughs) Thanks Harmony Inc. Right. I can name three other families that I can think of who are very similar to ours and and we're all friends and our kids are friends. The Tramax and the Littlefields and Sarah sang with Maggie and Adrenaline and then the Heinz. And Melody is one of Patrick and Maggie's best friends. So we've just kind of all traveled in the same circles over the years. And it really is a small bunch. It's a small bunch. I mean, there are... Bigger bunches that are like two or two, but those of you that are really active and known all across, it's impressive and it is truly, to me, an inspiration for there is enough acapella for everyone. Also... One other thing, and I haven't really talked much about the kids yet, but Maggie's first quartet spun on. The other three families were all friends of ours because all the girls obviously sang together and the brothers were all barbershoppers and the parents were all about the same age and most of us were barbershoppers. It was a quartet family, not just because they were all in a quartet, but because we truly had so much in common. When I think of barbershop, I think of family. It always just feels like family. I feel like there's so many families around, but then you say like, we can pretty much count like the full barbershop families that do it all on one hand. What is it about the environment that makes you want to be at all three and be involved at every level with your entire family? My brain is like broken. I mean, I love I it so much, but to devote that much to it, what is it that brings and we, you in? We've sacrificed, like financially, I always say we sacrifice. We don't always have a bigger house or a newer car. To us, barbershop was always a priority. So every year when International was coming around, it's like, okay, how are we going to do it this year? Okay, we got to figure it out. It was a struggle, but I think with both of us, we love the music and then the people are always the happy byproduct. As a lot of people say, we come for the singing, we stay for the people. So very much that way. This is our social sphere. We've had other groups. We've had school parents, friends, and Maggie was very involved with competition dance for many years. And we had our dance group and neighborhood and so, you know, other groups of friends, but it just seems like we always socialize and congregate more with our barbershop friends. So to us, it was like a big family reunion every year. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to make time for family, it felt very normal. Well, I have to carve out this time because this is my weekend with my barbershop family. Like, you know, like people outside of it, it was kind of odd because usually you would go into your events and stay with your people. It's not like you go into your events and then like scatter. Everybody walks into right. their little quartets and choruses. And sometimes you're going, wait, where is my quartet mate? They're socializing yeah. too much. But you know, I'm funny. I like to meet people. You both know I'm not shy. I would go to like even the first convention. I wouldn't just want to be with my group. I'd want to talk to the people. I'd sit down in the lobby and somebody sit next to me and I'd start chatting because I wanted to get to know these people because to me, that's the, where the fun is. I used to get so agitated when my parents would buy tickets in the block. I would be like, no, let's get random tickets and be sat next to random people. Because right. the one year that I was got sat next to Bert Zabo as a random person, to sit nice. there and listen to him just talk and just share his wealth, that was right. fun. So I always hated it when we were getting these blocks of tickets. I'm like, no, I want right. to sit next to somebody new. You know, the only seat available is by this random person I don't know. And we strike up a conversation and one guy found out he'd been in Alexander harmonizers for many years and very active and yeah, some of my best conversations were on the buses going to and from the venues in the years when we've been bus places and in the mad leadership and I'm just fascinating stories and I think he'd been a barbershop I want to say close to 50 years at that you, you hear so much and you learn so much and that's I love to hear people's barbershop stories so you, <laughs> you talked about me telling mine it's like well okay that's okay but really I love to hear everybody else's and so when I meet somebody new in, in barbershop I almost always say what's your story you know tell me how you got into it because 
that kind of stuff fascinates me. And everybody has great stories too. Why they sing. That's why when you get someone through the door at a barbershop convention, they stay. Because I mean, I'm new enough in this that I remember the first time I showed up brand new. I mean, I had relationships with the Alexandria Harmonizers and I knew a couple of barbershoppers here and there. But when I showed up at a convention and people just randomly sat and talked to me and were interested in me and were interested in making sure that I knew why they loved being there, that made me want to stay instantly. I'm like, no, I think I want to be here too. And I want to keep coming back. Right. People have to feel welcome and engaged. That's why we talk about does recruiting work and how does recruiting work? It's really at the local chapter level or attending a convention. You know, you have to engage people, involve them. Some do it through singing tags. I think with me, it was going to internationals. The first couple of years I was involved in being so amazed at the level of talent and sitting there thinking, I want to do that sometime. I want to be up there singing. You walk away. How could I ever leave? And that's, I think I said that after about my first year in barbershop, it's like, how would I ever not be a barbershopper? I said, jobs will come and go and I may move from city to city, but there will always be barbershop. It's always available. And it's interesting that you say that because you are pretty transient. You live two places. <laughs> Am I right? Or do you live yeah. one place? I get very right. confused, but Anne, Anne is right. the most transient person that I know. And she just takes it with such grace. I would be so stressed out. I would be like, where's all my stuff? I don't know. But they do but, it so great. You do it so gracefully, you and Brad. But it helped that this happened when our kids were already in college. Starting in 2010, my job, they put me on a large project. And I was thrilled because at the time my mom was still living and very healthy and social. And so I'd come up here and I'd stay with her instead of downtown at a hotel. So we got to hang out for several years before she passed away. And then we kept the house because I was still coming up and back for business. And I was up here about half the time. And then the next year, my boss said, hey, somebody's retiring from the team. You're up there so much. Would you be interested in transferring? So I said something to Brad and he's like, sure, why not? We're used to traveling anyway. It's kind of like, ah, you know, where are you going to be during the week? And okay. And we're so busy. We don't Plus, really like, see you guys were always anyway. going in different directions yeah. anyway with whatever right. you're volunteering with, whatever you were right. chorus you were in, if quartets, kids. like kids. Yeah. Somebody was with Maggie at dance. Somebody's right. taking Patrick to something. I mean, exactly. that's a beautiful life. It was right. just We'd your reality. We'd hardly see each other during the week and, and usually on the weekends we'd be the same place, but not always. So it was like, yeah, sure. So I'm up here during the week in Chicago and I have the house that I grew up. But what's now my room was my parents. So that's kind of weird, but it's a nice little three bedroom Cape Cod. So perfect for me. And then Brad usually comes up here on the weekends. He still is in the house, Fishers, Indiana, suburban Indianapolis, and teaches high school down there. He's still and, teaching. Uh, when he first got his teaching license, they had this thing called a life license. Yeah. And once you get that, no additional continuing ed is necessary. You know, and he's done some of that, but it's not required. He's close enough to retirement now. We're both just probably a few years away from retirement. So it made more sense for him to stay there. And he was very involved with his chorus yeah. and now is president of another chorus too. He's in a large chorus, Circle City Sound, and a small oh, chorus really... in Muncie, Indiana. I didn't realize he's the he was president doing both. of Muncie. Yeah. So he's very involved there. And it was kind of like, ah, you know, I could come to Chicago, but I love Chicago. He's, yeah, he just doesn't have the same attachment. And he was so involved with his groups. And I didn't feel like I could say, you have to come to Chicago. But at the same time, I didn't want to say, no, I can't come to Chicago. It works out. And he was just here this past weekend. And yet before that, we went up to Wisconsin and Maggie flew up from Nashville and joined us. And we do family things on the weekend and we do our own thing in between. So it That's... works well. I love it. It's, so... it's a nice life, I have to admit. And we don't kill each <laughs> other that way because we don't see each other often enough. To... I see so much benefit to that. <laughs> so much better. Your kids, they came with you and it was their choice to stay. And both of them have seen 
quite a bit of success. What was that like for you and for Brad to watch your kids go from being little barber brats to all of a sudden finding success? Patrick started at the age of seven in his dad's chorus. And before that, every year we go to international and he was an early reader. So as soon as he could read score sheets, he would want score sheets. And I remember making special trips down to the lobby several times, hovering, watching for score sheets to come out at every convention. And this is back in the day when they were all paper. And so we'd get those different color Green and yellow and pink. And he would inhale them. And I especially remember we drove to Atlanta, the convention when he was four years old and Maggie was two. And we drove all the way from Indianapolis down and back and kind of a circle trip, stopped some other places. And on the way back, all I remember is he had the Ramic Road Atlas in his lap, like he had most of the trip and was telling us the different you know, routes and following where we were going. But then on top of that, on the way back, he had the score sheets and he would read it and he would look at us and he'd say, did you know, he's four years old. You know, did you know that so-and-so <laughs> was sixth in the first round and fourth in the second round? And he just inhaled this stuff. And then as he got older, he created spreadsheet, keeping track of all these stats and trying to predict who did what and doing his own scoring, almost always the music category. And he was really into that. He grew up, he took music theory, both in high school and in college, started doing some arranging for fun. It turned into a little more serious as he got into college. And all of a sudden, instant classic. I'd like to say that, yes, Patrick got into it a little more serious in college, but let's just all, let's rewind. He went to Vanderbilt and he didn't study music. What did he study? He was a math major and a computer science and music minor. Right. So this kid's getting like... And I say kid because he will always be a kid to me, but he's genius. So it's just very cool. He had such a life path and he did so many things and all simultaneously. I've never seen somebody, in my opinion, multitask their life as well as Patrick has done in front of my eyes. So keep going, though, because a lot of people would listen to that story and I think they would think, oh, well, he's a musician and a composer and that's all he does is perform. No, he does other things, too, and has made a pretty cool path really simultaneously. Well, and I remember... This is a story I don't think too many people know, but he actually he applied to be a theory and composition major at Vanderbilt, and they wanted you to send in a portfolio. We're thinking, oh, that's cool. He pulled together the stuff he's done, and we found out that some of these kids were creating like professional portfolios with people working with them. You know, we had no idea that it was that kind of deal. Like full and symphonies, then, right? Like right. weird. Oh. And then we went and toured and talked to the assistant chair of the music department, and we found out that they only accept two students into that every year. So Patrick had stellar grades, stellar test scores, wonderful recommendations. But his portfolio was, you know, here I arranged this last year for a choral competition and it, you know and he won that choral competition as a teenager but still it wasn't the same level of stuff that these kids were doing all these difficult classical compositions because they knew that they had this really competitive track and we had no idea so he got accepted to Vanderbilt but not chosen for that program. And I remember going out to dinner with him that night and he was crushed. And I sat across from him in a restaurant and I said, Patrick, just remember, look at David Wright. He was a math major. You don't have to be a music major to be successful in barbershop. The light bulb went on and he, it's like from then on, it was okay. You know, and he, he'd tell you now, he's like, well, it wasn't completely okay, but I could tell it just, it yeah, made a difference. Yeah, because I think at that point, when you realize you know what you want to arrange for, or you want to compose for, because Patrick writes music. He's not just an Arranger. David, to, my, to me, isn't just an arranger. These people compose this music. It's a symphony in its own right. But Patrick knew what he wanted to do, right. and he, you were able to allow him to say, there's other forms of validation. You don't have to just get it from a degree, and sure. you can do it, but it's okay. 
if you just keep doing what you're doing and getting better at what you're doing. And that's what he did. He found a path to be able to do both. And he ended up doing the same thing I did, which was minoring in music. So you have your area that you know is going to be your career and pay the bills. And then you have the other that you enjoy doing as a hobby, but you don't have to do it. And so I think that worked out really well for him. Maggie did the same thing too, minored in music and she majored in public policy. Yeah. So anyway, so that's how- a major. I could barely get a major, guys. <laughs> barely finish a major. I have a funny little story about that. One night we were out with Helen and JG Lombardo and with the kids and Jay asked Patrick what he was majoring in. And Patrick said, I'm a math major and a computer science and music minor. And I turned to Jay, who hardly ever roars with laughter. But I said, CJ, he can't decide whether he wants to be David Wright or JG Lombardo. Oh. And Jay threw his head back and uproariously because Jay was the music major computer science guy course and David was the math major. He works in IT using his math degree and really there's a lot of math and music also as David likes to teach us. So really all of them fit together when you think about it. And Patrick used that. Is he also a judge in the music category? He is now. That's talking about scoring all those years. Yep. As soon as he finished college, he entered the judging program and so he was certified as a judge in 2019 in the music category and so he's just with competitions on hold for a while. He's only actually been officially on the panel a couple times. They all do one right before they're certified and then he did another contest in the fall of 2019. I'm hoping have, he'll be able to get back yeah. into it soon. Oh, we <laughs> hope so too. Come on 2022. And I tell people all the time, there was like, well, if you had to pick a category to judge, what would you pick? And I'm like, oh, I would pick the music category. There is no other people I would want to hang out with the whole time than like I, Patrick and David and exactly. I, all of them. All of the music. It's a great group. I agree. Sorry, singing and performance, but I'm just going to baritone it out <laughs> over here. But uh, a little more about Patrick because I think most people know about his arranging. Also, the trivia was a thing, especially when he was younger. He was kind of a trivia whiz kid. That's really how we got to know a lot of people was through that. And he taught a couple classes that were billed as the next generation trivia master assisted by Joe Conley. So that was fun <laughs> when he was, I think, 11 and 12. Yeah. I say uh -oh. he was litty bitty, but Patrick was a late bloomer. He was still little then. Yeah, he was pretty little when all that happened. And then he's been an assistant director for several choruses. He just moved to Houston and is in the process of joining Space City Sound. Nice. So a new chorus, but he was assistant director of Music City and also arranged a medley for them each of their last couple contests. So the Star Wars medley was his for quartets. <laughs> I think people know that he's also done some. Music City chorus was always, it has always been one of my favorites because of those really creative sets. Are we going to see a little bit of that influence now in Space City? Uh, possibly. We'll have to find out. I guess we'll wait and see. But Music City already has one of his medleys for their next contest, too. Patrick might not be as outgoing as his mom, but he's pretty close. Yeah, he's like me. He enjoys people. Our whole family enjoys meeting people. I think the quietest one in your family is Maggie. Possibly. And she's not all that quiet when you get no, her going. Exactly. Not. So speaking but, of, we're getting ready to uh, interview one of her quartet mates very soon. We're getting, we have Amanda coming on next, very soon. Wonderful. And what I find fascinating about Maggie is that she's able to have so many different facets of herself, but she can be all of them at one time. She's extremely unassuming. You would have never known that she was a competitive dancer. She didn't go around wearing that on her. She was always just Maggie in every situation she was in. And in that sense, was there any pushing or like urging of your kids, especially with Maggie? Or was it just something that kind of just happened? You know, it's funny because I, I think back even talking about both 
kids and they did so well in school, people would say, do you use, use flashcards? You know, Brad's a teacher. Does he tutor them? And we're like, no, we're too busy. We don't do anything like that. So no, growing up with Maggie in competition dance uh, or watching her grow up, there were dance moms. A lot of us have seen that show. And I wasn't like that. And I, I had my career and I had barbershop and I had other things. So some people would be really into dance and some of the moms would be extremely competitive and kind of nasty. And with me, you know, they'd be like, are you nervous watching Maggie? And I'd say, no, I love to watch her perform. I love to see her smile. I love to see her get out on stage and act like she owns it. And she's so comfortable out there. And that's so cool. You know, so I just sit there and smile through her performances. I didn't push her. She was very driven. At one point, she thought she was going to be a Broadway dancer. You know, and that was her big thing for years she when was she was really, little. She was stunning to watch. Thank you. So that was her thing. And it wasn't until my chorus, Capital City, had won a regional competition and was going to Seattle that she came up to me that after the contest results were announced and said, can I join your chorus? And uh, one of my favorite stories is I walked up to our director at the time, Bev Miller, who a lot of people will know who listen to this. And I said, Bev, Maggie's interested in joining the chorus. She's 13. And I knew that we had another 15-year-old member who I think had joined at 13. So I said, what do you think of that? And Bev said, well, we'd love to have her if she can sing. <laughs> I, I looked at her and I laughed. I thought, oh my gosh, does she even think I'd suggest it if she couldn't? You know, so I said, oh no, I said, she could sing. She's in the choir at school and she gets, she, you know, I said, it's just never been her thing. But I said, I'm thrilled she's interested. So Bev was like, well then sure, we'd love, you know, have her go through the audition process. We'd love to have her. So she joined at yeah, 13. And and then when I joined Melodiers, when I was up here working, she came with me. I remember I'd planned my project up here, my working up here so that I would be in Indianapolis the night of Melodiers and the next night so that we could drive up from Indy, Maggie and I, and then I'd bring her back in the middle of the night so she'd be back for school the next morning. I'd get about three hours of sleep and then be up to take the kids to school and go off to my own job. It was grueling, some dedication. it was wonderful. She was in Melodiers with me for about two years and it was wonderful to have her come up with me. I and couldn't be in my dad's chorus, but anytime he would take me in the car, I was there and I made yeah. sure the next day I was the best kid because uh -huh. I didn't want them to ever think I couldn't handle right. staying up late and riding home in the car. <laughs> right. But then, so after Melodiers, then Maggie was approached by a quartet that had competed in the Rising Star Contest, which is the Sweet Airlines 25 and under. And their tenor had moved out of state for college and they talked about reforming. And they said, we want a new tenor, but we're going to do a completely new name and just do it like a complete restart. And that became spot on. And I talked earlier about how all three of the families were friends. I've all the three other families and us, how we were all friends. And so that became a great quartet adventure. And it was, again, fun, just like watching Maggie perform in dance competitions, the same thing, watching her on stage in a quartet. Amazing for me because she just smiled and sang and acted like it was no big deal and had a wonderful time. She sure did act like it was no big deal. She's so chill. Yeah. Really Both is. kids really are like that. They enjoy performing and it's no big deal. I used to say with Patrick, business as usual, you know, just not a big deal. And that's, I think if they stressed about it and stressed me about it, we probably wouldn't be as involved as we were, but it was easy. They made it easy. So it was always a fun time instead of a stress. Yeah. And then after Spot On, who she still sings with when they get requests to do shows or sing on the Harmony Association of Harmony Queens show, she also joined Adrenaline when she was 20, just as a group that wanted to compete in the Rising Star contest. And there were like 19, two 20-year-olds and a 21-year-old when they formed. And so they all, a, a year later, won the Rising Star competition. They're still active. So yeah, so both kids are, as I say, fully dipped. Our whole family really is fully dipped 
in barbershop. And like I said, if it wasn't fun, if it was really stressful, I don't think we'd do it. Amanda, before the show, it mentioned, if you want to mention anything a little controversial. And the one thing I would like to talk about is hair, makeup, and costumes, because I've not been active for a few years. And it's not solely because of that, but that definitely is a factor. I won't feel comfortable going out on stage again in some of the stuff we used to wear and going through the same rigorous process, the makeup, the hair, it's way over what we should need to do for a participatory hobby. Like, you know, we all love the music. So why do we put ourselves through all the other anguish when all we're trying to do is create a great performance, create good music? I often feel like men get to this point before women because whatever stigmas and happens in society and just images, the men have even got, they've come away from the need to be putting makeup on themselves. And yes, when you're on a big stage and there's bright lights, like we all know what you can do for your skin, but is it necessary? Is it really a part of the package? And that's right. where I think the organization are putting their foot right. down as they're thinking it's part of the package. I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I understand, you know, a little bit of like, if you, you know, a woman might wear a mascara and might darken her eyebrows a little bit and wear, put something on her lips, you know, a little bit is fine. But the extent to which we go to make sure everyone is fully in stage makeup and so consistent and we ever go on stage <laughs> and it's, it's really, I think it's, it's too much. And I think we lose members. I know we lose members because they don't want to put up with that. And then the big foofy hair, the same thing. At least we've gotten more natural with that, but still there are choruses that insist your hair must be off off your shoulders and carry it to an extreme. And then the costuming, not so much the costuming itself, undergarments. And some of the costumes I think are a bit over the top too. I love bright colors. I I don't think that's a problem, but sometimes we try so hard to put so much on them that the costumes become the focal point and not the performer. Exactly. And I think the art of barbershop gets lost. Right. And I think and, there and I is think... such a nuance in barbershop that when you put all this stuff in there, is it just noise? It's kind of like yep. an arrangement. Is right. it just noise? And we lose credibility, I think, with the outside world when they see us, you know, they'll see us walking around a hotel lobby with these really elaborate outfits that you'd never be seen in public, like right. outside Very of the barbershop costumes. hotel. So like, Amanda, and, let's just real quick talk about this in like the terms of acapella world. You very rarely see an acapella group with more than four people dressed alike at all. Four, yeah. maybe. You hit five and you better be doing matching colors. You get to six, it's almost like don't all yeah. match. Don't do it. I mean, I would love to see Barbershop move more in that direction where it's find something in this, my contemporary groups often do, okay, we're going to be in these four colors and you can wear any combination. You can wear just one of these colors. You can wear two, you can wear all four. And then we have levels of formality, like, okay, this is a cocktail party that we're singing for, or this is a street performance. Right. right. And that's it. Music, that's all we do. Think, and a lot of times music doesn't ask for a lot in terms of what you're wearing. In my opinion, it's very rare that you need to have a costume. And that's what it is. A costume is dressing to matte performance. Speaking of all these like dance contests and things, that's what it feels like sometimes. And I Pretty hated so. that part of dance. I hated yeah. that part of dance. I hated that my mom had to poke my eyes out to put makeup on me when I was little. And I hated that before we went out, our dance teacher used to like just put like Vaseline on our teeth so we would not stop smiling like that. Right. All of that took the fun out of it for me. Right. Nothing like putting false eyelashes on a seven-year-old, which I used oh to have my to gosh. do with Maggie. Her dance trip required. And that was the best part about joining Bellanova was that that's not important in Bellanova. And that's why I was drawn to that chorus and perhaps I why said, I was drawn a little bit more. 
more to Harmony Inc. because yeah. there's a little less emphasis on that. And it like still when happens. I got there, oh yeah, yeah. Just, and they and they happen. and they tend yeah. to and they and I mean to be a little controversial myself, it still happens and they play it off as though everyone's choosing it. Okay. And we know that that's not true, but that's where I was curious: is how do we feel about that? What if that is your chorus culture? Am I just knocking you because that's your culture, or am I just really trying to open your eyes to say, hey, it's cool if that's how you want to be, but this barbershopper won't ever right. feel comfortable with that. And that's kind of where I am now. I'm trying to change. I'm stepping back and letting everybody else, if that's what they want to do. I think it's important for you to be able to say, if we looked at membership more like that, we might grow. And it's okay to have your own way of doing things. It's okay to have your culture maybe open your eyes and see what you could be potentially bringing in. It gets very closed-minded, even though you think you're being really good. Right. And I think a lot of it is we need to just stop and ask ourselves why. Why are we still dressing like that? Is it because that's the way the groups have always dressed? And if so, okay, well, why do we have to keep doing it that way? And I think it's re- it's a really hard question, especially for women that have been in these organizations for decades. It's like, well, this is just the way it's always been done. And groups have won and groups have gotten attention for doing exactly this. So and why the word I unity, I think, is stressed in the visual performance. Yeah. I know in Sweet Adelines it is, and to some extent, not as much in the BHSHI rules, but they do talk about an overall look. And at least in the Sweet Adelines world, especially, people have really focused in on that uniformity um, and carried it to an extent. And that's a shame. I think they're trying with the new idea of performance versus we used to call it showmanship. Everybody's called it something different, right? We had it as showmanship, then there was performance, and then it was stage presence, and then presentation, and now we're at performance. We all are still trying to figure this out. And that tells me that everybody is aware. It's just really hard. This may be something that I am most excited about this pandemic, that we have really erased. Let's hope we use this as an opportunity to reset. Yeah. Like we can hoping. just come out as something new and everybody, even the judges, nobody has weird filters of the last 50 years. Nobody knows what happened in the last two years, right? Like it's all, it's like, like I stopped wearing pants and I stopped wearing sequins is what happened. I'm looking at my heels now and I'm like, do I ever really my have crown to put those dent back is on? Less. I don't have as much of a dent. I would like one. I won't miss the four inch heels. Remember like the, the H, was that the last contest or the contest before where one of the choruses for H-I-Q. HI? Was... Atlantic, Atlanta Harmony Society. Let's, let's throw it out. They use war Yoga, yoga socks. And everybody wanted them. I think we sold out Amazon. Everyone's like, yeah. that's what we're wearing yeah. forever. They still and wear you know yoga what? socks. They do. Maggie's and chorus, Toontown, at least the front row, wears flat leather jazz booties. Whoever chooses to dance in those, what are those things shoes. called? Yes. Whoever decided character shoes were a thing to dance in was Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. This is because <laughs> they didn't have to dance backwards. That's why. Right. Well, I know that... The three of us could probably sit here and talk about this controversy all night long. But unfortunately, we have a limit on how long we can make this show. But Anne, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. And I look forward to many more conversations with you as we get back into our convention life. I know who's going to be here. Anne's going to be here. So (laughs) you're a very familiar face. And all the listeners now, you too. If you come to a barbershop event, just say hello. And Anne will want to hear your story. Well, we look forward to that day and hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.